Welcome in. This is the Hot Take Podcast. Super excited to be back with you guys talking fantasy football. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today, actually. Uh, some news uh, to get to. We want to talk about some Patriots backfield, what to do with that. Uh, you know, We're going to talk about another confusing backfield as well, based on some of that news. I'm excited to get into it. Josh, how you feeling, man? Feeling good, man. You got a pretty running back heavy episode uh, and excited to bring on our guest. I know he's been guest on my old show and I know he's been a guest on this show. Uh, so excited to have him on for the first time this season. Yeah, that's Anthony Servino of the FF Faceoff. Uh, what's going on, buddy? What's going on, guys? How are you? Pretty good. Uh, we tuned in, of course, for the Mental Health Podathon. That was awesome. Uh, you did a great job with Michael over there hosting that thing. Uh, I saw a picture of your eyes red. Was that because you just didn't sleep? Was that like lack of sleep? No, um, I don't know uh, what happens. Sometimes I just wake up and my eye is just bloodshot. So. Okay. I don't know if you caught the beginning of the potathon with Dave Richard from CBS. Well, him and I are in the same Scott Fishbowl division. And he said, I sniped him like, you know, quite a few times. Uh, and he said, in the potathon, I hope you go through like 45 minutes of your eye bleeding, <laughs> you know, as a joke. And then I wake up like that. Oh, man. What is yeah, going on? so I thought it was hilarious. It was just a joke. But, yeah, that <laughs> happens to me. Like, every couple of days I wake up my eyes like that. This is the curse of downtown Dave. What the heck? But he was a great guy. You know, everybody, all the guests were amazing. Um, we're already planning a year two. We hit our goal of $6,000. So, I mean, it couldn't have gone better. Even the production, you know, streaming 18 hours. Um Nothing went wrong. And that was my biggest worry going into the thing. And you guys were originally going to do 12 hours and you decided to expand to 18. Is that correct? No, it went 12 to 16 and then 18. Wow. Okay. And um, just, you know, some of the guests, you know, Hayden Hurst was on the show. A lot of big names in the fantasy industry. Um, who was one of your favorite people to talk to? One of my favorite people uh, was actually somebody we, and they were all great, but somebody we didn't even have scheduled during the whole thing. Uh, and this was cool because I'm a big fan of his um, at pro football doc, David, Ch uh, Dr. David Chow, uh, as somebody cool. who works with him DM'd me and said, Hey, like if you can get him on, he would love to come on. Uh, and we put him uh, with uh, John Hansen, the fantasy guru, and Graham Barfield from Fantasy Sports. And um, Dr. Chow had that amazing story um, about people close to him dealing with the mental health issues. And, you know, he's somebody next year I would like to give a whole half hour, hour to to talk because, you know, he's the best in the business. Yeah, 100%. No, that's great. Yeah, he's worked with uh... – a lot of people obviously deep in the you know NFL. So no, that's really you cool. Know, I'm sure he and he, he cool said when you're dealing with player injuries, a lot of it is the mental side of the rehabilitation. And I think that's something that people overlook. Oh, absolutely. Very interesting insight. That's very interesting insight. And I, I was a personal trainer for years, so that science of the body and the mind right. is super interesting. Uh, you know, but Super unpredictable, too, in the fantasy world. If you're going to say, ah, you know, I think he can fight through this one, you know? <laughs> so, um, but let's talk about Derrick Henry. Um, 
it was it actually was reported by Adam Schefter that they weren't going to get this done. And I, I was, you know, talking to my friends about it, Titan fans, and you know, Titan. He was pretty bummed about it. But no, Derrick Henry signed a four-year, fifty million dollar deal, twenty-five million guaranteed, and I think that's important. That, that was important for Derrick Henry's side. Um, so, Josh, what is your you know your thought process over here? I'm just excited that a running back got paid. I was I was starting to get worried here. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's shown that uh, the trend is proving wise to not uh, pay running backs. But I mean, when you look at how Derrick Henry has been used, I mean, there's a lot of Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis timeshare going on, you know, early in his career. So he really hasn't been given the quote unquote featured role uh, until just last year where right. he really didn't have any competition. So um, once they decided to kind of make him the workhorse, you know, we saw what he could do and it's, it's no surprise that he would get paid. Um, I think a lot of people were like myself where they thought that, okay, it's going to be one or the other, they're going to pony up for Henry uh, or Tannehill, but not both. And, uh, Hey, I, I'll be the first one to say I was wrong. Uh, so when they did actually come out and pay Tannehill, I thought that just kind of spelled you know, doom for the uh, Derrick Henry situation. Of course, we all kind of suspected that he was going to be franchise tagged, and we did speak about that back in March. But, um, you know, the way it's played out has been pretty interesting, kind of a buzzer beater deal there, like you said. And I think it's very interesting for Darrington, uh, Darrington Evans, uh, who personally I loved in Dynasty Leagues because I looked at him as a guy that a year from now we could see a huge increase in his value that you could either – you know, sell off and take advantage of that asset. Um, but in redraft, I mean, even though he takes a hit in dynasty, he's still a solid handcuff in redraft leagues. Anthony, what is your take on Darrington Evans? Like, you know, just from a redraft dynasty perspective, and then does this do anything for you for Derrick Henry? I mean, you know, is, is it a certain bump up in dynasty? How are you looking at that? I, I was already ranking him aggressively in PPR Dynasty to begin with. I don't know how much this extension is going to make me want to put him any higher, especially in PPR, because he doesn't bring a lot to the table as a receiver, which is fine because he does a lot uh, in between the tackles. And, and I don't think people give Derrick Henry enough credit uh, for how efficient he is for being one of those those grinder backs, one of those backs who get better and wears a defense down as the game goes on, like an Ezekiel Elliott. But Derrick Henry was eighth in three yards per carry, second in breakaway runs, seventh in evaded tackles, number one yards created. He's a little bit more elusive than people give him credit for. Uh, on the Titans line, they did lose one of their tackles. Uh, I, I think they'll be fine replacing him. Uh, but this is all workload dependent with Derrick Henry. If they are going to continue to give him the volume, I think you're going to get the reward for you know from a fantasy football perspective. But how long is that reward? Like, is Derrick Henry a player where if they give him 300 plus carries, do you sell him next offseason? But as far as this year, Derrick Henry is going to be fine. That's a great point. Um, you know, looking at the wear and tear of the running back position. And, you know, you brought it up earlier, Josh, that last year was the first year of this. I mean, 300 carries, you know, led the league in carries um, by a good bit. Um, and, you know, if you can repeat that, then you're going to be happy with that. You know, you can look at the touchdowns and say, yeah, I might not be able to repeat that at 16. But look, with 300 carries and the way they use him, 
he should be able to maybe touch 13, 14 touchdowns. So you shouldn't worry about a regression there. Um, Anthony, are you comfortable drafting him at like the five or six spot in a half PPR league? Um, overall? Or yeah, the, five or six overall. That's tough because I'm putting that situation. I was actually putting that situation to Scott Fishbowl with the eighth pick. Um, and all the guys I was targeting was gone. And it was like Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, or Michael Thomas. And I normally like to, if I can go running back, running back, running back to start any type of draft, that's my normal strategy. Uh, but I couldn't justify taking Derrick Henry there just because, you know, if I'm going to take a back that high, I want somebody who, if they possibly regress at all as a rusher, they're going to make it up with targets, almost like a little bit with Leonard Fournette last year in the in the touchdown regression. He made it up with targets. That's right. not going to be sustainable, obviously. But I like that receiving uh, the receiving floor to save my player if I'm drafting him in the first round. Yeah, no, and I think it's a big difference for Derrick Henry when you talk about PPR to half point. Um, where if it's PPR, I'm I definitely don't want to draft him in the first round. Uh, if it's half point, you know, at that five or six spot, I, I don't think I'm considering it. But at the end of the first, I would consider drafting Derrick Henry. How do you, are you feeling similar, Josh? Or Yeah, I mean, uh, this. I guess the best way to say it is that, like, I completely agree with everything that you guys have said. You know, if you are going to spend that much draft capital, you do want, like, a safe net of receiving, uh, you know, work. And the thing is, if there's going to be a running back that's going to produce – just straight up on volume and carries alone, um, like we saw with Adrian Peterson back in the day. I mean, Derrick Henry's probably that guy. We saw him get humongous workloads in college, which for me, that's the reason I used the word weird previously, is it just seems weird that a proven guy like this who you know can be a workhorse because uh, that's that's what he did at Alabama. And it's just weird that the Titans took so long to you know feed him like they did in 2019. But you know, he, he definitely has the ability to produce and pay off that mid first round uh, pick. Uh, but, you know, in PPR, it is just a little bit trickier to pull the trigger there. Yeah, it feels like without the the receiving work, he, he's going to have to get 1500 yards, 300 carries, 14 ish touchdowns in order to, you know, and, you know, he can be that top three guy with that kind of production, obviously. So I, I think it is possible for him to repeat uh, what he did last year is what I'm getting at. But I think yeah. Darrington Evans, again, can be can have a little bit of standalone value because I think that he's the only guy that is going to get some sort of passing work. So, you know, maybe uh, in like a deeper league, a deep, maybe 16 team league, you know, Scott Fishbowl obviously is a great opportunity to draft Evans. So, yeah, and if, you know, yeah, I was just going to say real quick, if, if 2020 is going to be the year of the handcuff, you right. can do a lot worse than Darrington Evans, you know. That's a good call. Um, Raheem Mostert. Um, I don't, we didn't get the chance to really dive into this. He, he wants a trade. Um, and I'm not sure what he's due right now for, to make this season. I think it's something like 2 million. Yeah. He's uh, like 2.75. Yeah. And I think he wants somewhere more uh, around like five mil. Um, and you know, the 49ers, they're not in a hurry to pay any certain running back. They can succeed with, you know, just about anybody back there. So they're in a good spot situation um i guess you know anthony how are you looking at this backfield now um were you a big raheem Mostert guy before this and how are you feeling now since the news 
Um, I was a big Raheem Mostert guy going into this. Um, and initially reacting to the news, you know, I'm one of those type of people where I overreact and I come back down to earth. And right now, I don't know how much I am backing away from how aggressively I had Raheem Mostert because he has zero leverage. He's going to play for the 49ers now on Raheem Mostert's side to defend him. He wants Tevin Coleman money, which is just north of $4 million. He's not asking for $6 million a year, $10 million a year. He's not being unfair to what he's asking for, but he also doesn't have a leg to stand on. He was cut by five teams. Uh, He was cut six total times. He's a system running back, and I think that's evident because of how well he's played under Kyle Shanahan. Uh, so, yeah, Raheem Mostert's going to be there, and, and I do think he's going to dominate those backfield touches, or at least uh, him and Tevin will be close. Right. I, I agree. I agree that there's a potential chance that him and Coleman could be close, um, at which point Mostert's draft capital is a little too high. But, you know, at the same time, this news could maybe level that out. And then, like you're saying, Anthony, if you're still approaching him aggressively, you're going to get him at a discount. Um Josh, how are you feeling with Raheem Mostert and this 49ers backfield? I mean, we, you know, we have Tevin Coleman, Jarek McKinnon, who hasn't played a game since 2017, you know, Jeff Wilson, my name is Jeff. Uh, so we have a lot of people in this backfield that could garner touches at some point. And then Mostert is the guy who's really being sought after in drafts. Yeah, and even before this news, I mean, guys like Jermichael Hasty were getting a little traction in Dynasty Leagues, even Salvin Ahmed, guys like that were kind of those end of the bench, um, you know, guys that you're going to kind of churn if, you know, they're still on the practice squad in the middle of the year. But uh, let me ask you guys an honest question. When you heard that Mostert was getting a deal and then you found out that he was already making 2.75, what was your reaction? Was that Was that higher than you thought his salary was? Yes. 100%. No, because he said, I remember he signed a tender, no? Okay. So, see, I, 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 I think did they not tendered know him. And usually, those tenders, uh, depending on what round tender they placed on him, they, they could be right around that one, two million dollar range. Yeah. See, and I didn't, uh, and I, I was not aware of that. So, when I heard the 2.75 number, I thought, well, that's kind of, it's kind of fair for a guy that really, I mean, <laughs> He, don't get me wrong. Every time he's been on the field, he's been productive. You know, he's been, as Adam Levitan would say, the president of hashtag team preseason. But it's, you know, he's always been productive. And but just when you look at the actual NFL game log production, he really kind of is no resume. He's he punched it in the end zone literally every single game since week 11 last year. So once they gave him the rock. He was super productive, and that's just a constant. But his special teams contribution uh, is kind of what his tender was based around. Uh, so when I looked at this a little bit further, and I believe it was Jason at Over the Cap. I apologize if I get the uh, – I want to source it. I know it was from Over the Cap, but I just saw that with this particular deal that he has in place, there's incentives for next year that – I believe can actually be pushed up. So, you know, like Anthony said, it doesn't really have any leverage. And I ultimately, at the end of the day, it's in both parties' best interest to kind of stick together, you know, for the, you know, not stick together for the kids, but stick together for the wins, you know, and, you know, Coleman, Coleman really only wants like a difference of, you know, 1.75 million. And that's, that's really not a lot when you get the way things can be kind of, uh, you know, escalated in that contract. So 
it makes sense that they probably meet somewhere in the middle. When it, when it comes to this backfield, I think that Mostert has a shot at, you know, the most carries in, in this offense. But how much is that going to be kind of to Anthony's point? Tevin Coleman could be close. And when I look at Coleman's draft value, I could see myself maybe being more, you know, tempted to take him. I don't know. I was contemplating drafting Jarek McKinnon pretty late in the Scott Fishbowl. And in a 12-team league, for your last pick in the draft, if you still think that McKinnon has some juice, if you were a Jarek McKinnon fan at any time and you thought that, you know, you were excited about him, you know, because he had that crazy draft value when he was going to be the starter at, at, at the 49ers. I mean, he was going in the third round. Um, so if you were one of those guys, you might as well just take a shot on Jarek McKinnon at the end of your draft because what could happen? I mean, they brought him in there to be the guy. So. If you're not that inspired by Coleman, you're not that inspired by Mustard, Mostert. Sorry, um, I would I would go after McKinnon at the end of your dress. He's going to be free. Um, but you know, Mostert has a shot, and I think that uh, I like Anthony's approach of you know, look, I was aggressive early on, and I'm going to stay that way because now there's even a discount. So I think that's that's uh, one way to look at it for sure. You know, I, I like. You know, Mostert, when he pops off, he, he, in, in a regular season last year, he finished as an RB5 or better three different times. And if you include that playoff game where he went off for 220 against Green Bay, he probably would have finished as a number one overall running back that week. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When they give him the ball and he gets going, I mean, Raheem Mostert has the ceiling of a stud, and that's not a bad type of, of player I want to want to target in that round because what else is going around Mostert? Other, you know, J.K. Dobbins? We don't know what his role is going to be. Right. And, you know, back-to-back years, Raheem Mostert, efficiency-wise, now only six games in 2018, so he barely even qualifies. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, if you look at his efficiency and you look at Jeff Wilson, they're both, like, super touchdown efficient. Like, Mostert's got in the end zone every week since week 11. And Jeff Wilson, like, I went back and – I mean, he's been doing that since college. Like, he's like a right. prototype goal linebacker. And what was that efficiency stat you had, uh, Anthony? No, for last season, he was number one in true yards per carry, number four in uh, yards per touch. There you go. And yeah, even I mean, in the limited sample size um, in 2018, six games, still 7.2 yards per touch, 6.8 true yards per carry. No, and he, he showed a lot of great burst, uh, and he showed the ability to get through uh, you know, that, that gap that in that 49er system. So, you know, it, it's going to be whoever's hot. Um, and, you know, if, if Shanahan likes this guy and I think he does, you know, but again, I think it's something to think about when he wants to trade and, you know, you have to think about how that's, you know, shaping out in, uh, you know, behind the scenes there. So let's move on. We want to talk about some Patriots, you know, the Patriots backfield. You're getting a huge discount on Sony Michelle. I'll just go out and say it. I mean, he was the running back 24 overall last year, 247 carries. So the volume is there, you know, with, I kind of look at it like David Montgomery last year, right? Like David Montgomery got all this volume and we were anticipating all that volume, right? 
we were just hoping he could do a little bit more with it in his rookie season. Um, so I'm kind of looking at Sony Michelle this coming season to David Montgomery's rookie season. I don't know what's going to happen with David Montgomery. I think he maybe can take the next step. But Sony Michelle is just blah. I mean, you don't really want to draft him, but at the set, the last pick of the seventh round, sometimes going into the eighth round in drafts, I mean, he, you could do a lot worse. And I'm going to say, you know, Josh, if you're if people are going to go zero RB, and I know zero wide receiver is very popular right now. People are hammering the running backs, but there still are the zero RB truthers. So I think Michelle should be on all those teams. Yeah, and we were kind of talking before the show. I said, you know, Sony's gross, and yeah. I really don't want to talk about him at all. But, I mean, I, you're like read my mind here because I was just going to say, like, this is – the type of pick that you would almost be targeting if you were doing the zero running back, because that is the range, man, that seventh round, eighth round, you, that's where, you know, whether you're going true zero RB or, you know, if you are taking, you know, like a, a Barkley or Zeke or Kamara, something like that in the first round, uh, and then you're going to wait all the way until late, late. Um, you know, he's, he's not the worst because of, like you said, the value is there at the moment. Um, but man, I'm out. I'm out on Sony. I just, I'm not a big fan, um, you know, especially looking down the stretch last year. I mean, there just, there was not, I'm hard pressed to come up with someone off the top of my head that just, you know, on, on game tape looked so unappealing. Um, <laughs> so, so Sony yeah. just did not do it, man. He was not. Maybe, maybe Ronald Jones. He's like a slower Ronald Jones. Yeah, I was just going to say, even Ronald Jones showed more burst and wiggle. It's just uh, Sony yeah. just seems to get, you know, he like plods into the line. And I mean, he just does nothing for me. So I'm I'm out. Anthony, what's your take on this backfield? I mean, this is always every year. It's quite this is a topic of discussion is the Patriots backfield. So how do you look at this right now? You know, I'm with you guys on Sony, Michelle. I don't know if I can touch him because it is he is very unappealing. Um, what he does have going in his favor, like you said, he has the volume. He's going to get the carries. He was the 10th back in red zone touches with 45 last season. Uh, but he's not very efficient. He's always dealing with some kind of injury, and there's a lot of competition in that backfield. Now, what Sony does have going in his favor, and you can say the same thing about James White and maybe any other back, uh, is how effective running backs were with Cam Newton, D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart, Christian McCaffrey. Um, because Cam Newton's a threat to run. They run the the RPOs really well. Cam Newton loves throwing to his running backs. So there is some upside with these Patriot running backs, just a matter of what are you going to invest in them? Like, are you going to pay Sony Michelle's ADP, or do you take a shot on, on maybe Rex Burkhead or Damian Harris later and kind of just buy the cheapest one? Because a few years ago, if you did that the year James White and LeGarrette Blunt went out, uh, went off. I mean, those guys were going undrafted in a lot of leagues. You were winning leagues by punting on the cheapest Patriots running back. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. No. And yeah, were... Blunt and, and White both went ballistic. Well, yeah, and people always used to say like, "Oh, I'm 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 out on the Patriots backfield uh, with Tom Brady." I, I you know I don't want a Patriots running back. That was wrong. That was always wrong. And now it's Cam Newton, so it's a little different. Anthony, I'm glad you brought it up because we talk about on the show very often that you know you want the running back with the mobile quarterback. So the, the Sean Watson, it's worked for average running backs, Lamar Miller, Carlos Hyde. Um, you know, look what Mark Ingram was able to do last right. year with Lamar Jackson. Very, very efficient. So 
Yeah, Sony is the guy right now. And I think that you could argue that he could have the same sort of volume he had last year. And if he could just get the efficiency up a little bit. And then I do like Damian Harris. You know, I mean, he's another guy that if you're punting at the end of your draft, Damian Harris is a guy. See what happens the first couple weeks of the season. You know, Damian Harris, if he doesn't get any touches, then you can, you know, you can drop him. Um, James White, Josh, is he better or worse now with Cam Newton than with Tom Brady? It's like uh, you guys have been reading my mind so far. It's like you read my show notes here, too. I have uh, – so what I wrote down was the way Anthony said is that, you know, Cam Cam's shown that he'll check down and throw the one, running backs quite a bit. Uh, my other note was that, you know, the pass-catching running backs uh, are not anyone that we should be scared of. Um, so, if he, I mean, if he falls enough, uh, especially in PPR, I, I've never been, you know, scared to take James White. Uh, there's just maybe a little bit of a learning – I don't even say learning curve, but just maybe a little bit of a lack of chemistry. It's not like, you know, Brady's had uh, James White and James White's had Brady for so long. Uh, you know, Cam can step in and um, it's not going to be the same right away. Uh, so if I do take James White, he's not going to, he's got, he's a guy that I'm going to urge fantasy owners to have some patience with because especially with this, how crazy this off season has been, you know, I'm not even going to get into, you know, the COVID stuff, but it's, it's just if they can build something as the season goes on, he's a guy that I am absolutely not scared of. Um, like I said, the PPR, I'm all over James White. Um, you know, that might be a little cliche, yeah. but it's that's that's where I'm at right now. So I, I'd like to hold him for later on in the season. And he's also a guy that if he does struggle at the beginning and he's not putting up good fantasy numbers, he's a guy I might go and try to buy low, like in a trade, whether it's, you know, like especially in redraft. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I was I was I'm glad you brought up James White because in nine seasons a Panthers wide receiver only led the team in targets twice. He's thrown it to running backs and tight ends. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I I don't know how you guys feel about this, but you know, you mentioned how you know the Patriots like routinely figuring out the backfield and get what is the, how does the puzzle come together it's always a nightmare for fantasy owners and it's and it's never you should fade it entirely because someone always right. blows up but so for me and i would love to hear your guys take on this but the patriots are the ideal type backfield to target like in best ball because then the work is done for you. The guessing is pulled out of the equation. So there is no guessing game. It's just, okay, well, is this a James White game? Is this a Sony game? You know, is this, does Damian Harris emerge? Um, you know, so that's, that's where I feel like the committee backfields can really pay off, especially if you're drafting at one of the turns, you can kind of double up on a Sony and a James White since they're getting drafted pretty damn close to each other right now. So, I mean, um, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about that in general, but that's that's kind of what I do with committee backfields is I, I kind of save them for best best ball. Yeah, you could certainly do that. I mean, that's definitely a viable strategy uh, in best ball. I, I like that a lot. I mean, you could <laughs> you could certainly get, you know, Sony Michelle and then Damian Harris just, in, you know, depending on the narrative that you think is going to happen. I mean, do you think that Damian Harris is going to take that job eventually? Or do you anticipate maybe an injury with Sony Michelle? I mean, you should never anticipate injuries. But if you're saying, look, I think he's injury prone. I want to get his backup in best ball. Sure, you can certainly do that in a 12 team redraft league. You know, I'm not crazy about handcuffing, but we talked about this could be the year of the handcuff. 
If you sure. think that's, that's true, Damian Harris is that guy. Uh, but what's nice about James White is you know his role. And he's being, you know, he's the RB31 uh, in Fantasy Pro's uh, expert consensus rankings. Um, and, you know, I think that's fair. You're not you're not really, you know, that that's his floor and his ceiling is, you know, he could touch maybe RB2 in, P, you know, PPR. He could certainly be an RB2 in PPR. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, the the one thing I'd like to get uh, Anthony's take on uh, both Burkhead and Harris, but that's the that's the crazy thing, Steve. It's like you and I were kind of uh, shooting some messages back and forth early this week. And like, you know, full disclosure, like I had no idea that Rex Burkhead, uh, Burkhead had just restructured his deal. Um, and, you know, he plays quite a bit on special teams, too. So, um, you know, he, he can do he's like a jack of all trades running back that can yeah. also play special teams. So, I mean, they basically just restructured his deal. He's making like less than what Raheem Mostert's making right now. And what they saved is basically what they're paying Cam. So it's like all they had to do to sign Cam was restructure Rex Burkhead's deal. So it's ridiculous how the Patriots just are like playing check, you know, chess while everyone's playing checkers. But when you're looking at this backfield um, and Anthony, I would love to hear your thoughts on Damian Harris, if you think he's going to do anything. But before I, before you get into that, uh, just kind of paint this picture. We talked about, um, you know, we just hit on how efficient Mostert was with touchdowns and Jeff Wilson and the, you know, the Niners had 23 rushing touchdowns last year to pace the league. Um, you know, we talked about Derrick Henry and the Titans, you know, 21 touchdowns tied for second with the Ravens and tied for 10th with as middle of the road as the running backs from the Patriots seemed to be last year. They still had 17 touchdowns and now you bring in one of the best goal line backs in the league uh to play quarterback in cam newton so i absolutely think that the rushing touchdown figures are going to tick up in a positive manner here for the patriots and um something tells me that damian harris could be a part of that uh what do you think anthony i don't know how much damian harris stock i'm going to be buying into just because there are a lot of guys there and we didn't even mention brandon bolden who uh they will use and i also believe Brandon Bolton plays on special teams. Uh, there's Rex Burkhead. They restructured him. They probably could have moved on from him. I, I'd have to check the, the you know, over the cap out on that. But they're keeping Rex Burkhead for a reason. You brought up his versatility. He lined up in one, two, uh, almost over eight different positions, including special teams last year. He's a big value to them. So we're going to see a good mix, but it's, it's definitely going to be Sony and James White's backfield. Yeah, I like it. I think Damian Harris is just a flyer. Um, he barely got any carries last year. Actually, and Keel Harry, the uh, wide receiver, had more carries than <laughs> Damian Harris. Rex, Rex Damian Burkhead Harris, lined up yeah. out wide 33 times in the slot 18 times, in line tight end three times. So they really did use him all over the formation. Hell, he even lined up as a defensive lineman once. <laughs> yeah, anyone, wow, that's that's wow. Yeah, it's uh, wild. I, I feel man. like anyone could emerge here. You know, like Rex Burkett has a chance to emerge. You're not going to draft him, but certainly with Cam Newton, um, depending on, you know, injuries and, you know, all sorts of circumstances, someone can emerge here um, as a very viable fantasy asset. So I think that should just be kind of in the back of your mind. You know, you're staring down Sony Michelle in the eighth round. You maybe you want to take a shot at him, but uh, it, it might not feel great. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 nuts, man. Like the way this Burkhead deal worked out, uh, he's already collected because they restructured it and he's taken a, a chunk in bonus. Like he already has 25% of his season salary. So if they cut him, like they're literally only going to save like 400K. So, I mean, he's like a lock to stay on the roster with everything he does. 
Yeah, and you know, look what ha- I mean. You stick around long enough, look what happened with Raheem Mostert. You know, so uh, <laughs> similar uh, sort of scenario there, being you know these special teams players. Um, but we haven't done this in a while. I want to do some ADP check in. Um, you know, just kind of get a pulse on what's going on out there. Scott Fishbowl, uh, obviously, you know, a lot of those drafts are wrapping up, and I think this is around the time of year where the ADP gets a little bit more clear. Um, so. You know, Anthony, you know, you're our guest today and, you know, we have, I wanted to talk about Leonard Fournette a little bit, you know, so I figured we would open it up with a little Melvin Gordon or Leonard Fournette. Now, I'm pretty confident I know your answer, but I just want you to know that I feel like Melvin Gordon is the pass catching running back in in Denver and he's the goal line back. And I feel like he's going to get a lot of work there. So I I don't know. What what are your thought process in the third round? where, Where are you leaning? I'm going on the Leonard Fournette side. And the big reason why I'm on the Leonard Fournette side is the fact that we know that Jacksonville, if he stays in Jacksonville, and it looks like he's going to be uh, in Jacksonville because they're not going to get trade compensation for him. Um, Leonard Fournette's going to get his carries. So he's always going to bring a high rushing floor as long as he's healthy. Now, last year, his targets and reception, that was a luxury. That's not going to happen again. Even though Jacksonville is going to be playing in shootouts or they're going to be playing from a negative game script from behind, um, I think Gardner Minshew is going to be a little bit more comfortable. We're going to see uh, less checking down to Leonard Fournette. So despite seeing the regression uh, in targets and receptions, I do think we see a positive regressions in touchdowns from Leonard Fournette. So that's going to balance out. And the third round, I think Leonard Fournette has a fringe running back one ceiling. I don't know if Melvin Gordon still commands that because there's still Philip Lindsay in that backfield. I don't know if Melvin Gordon's going to be the guy like people expect him to be. Yeah, I want to start. Maybe Melvin Gordon's nickname, I was just thinking about it, should be Pi for like 3.14, which like just seems to be around his yards per carry all, all the time like he mm. can, he has trouble with getting to that four yards per carry number uh josh where are you at with this i don't know how i feel uh, how you feel anyway about melvin gordon or leonard fournette at this point yeah first of all i think it's funny because if i remember correctly i don't know i'm getting older but uh i swear you guys have the opposite guys on your fishbowl teams um which is funny uh, I, th- I feel like I saw Anthony had Gordon and yes, uh, I, do. I know you have, I know you have <laughs> Fournette, which is funny. So uh, speaking of that though, the, the, I feel like when you look at that type of scoring setting, which is very unique, I know it, this doesn't really apply to a lot of people's fantasy leagues out there who aren't in Scott Fishbowl, but especially with like that points for first down, um, Anthony already mentioned the positive touchdown regression, which I feel is, um, yeah, it's almost obvious at this point, but the difference between their ADP and the fishbowl with this first down yardage uh, or first down bonuses, um, Leonard Fournette actually going at 33.7 compared to Gordon at 43.9. So even though, you know, the redraft ADP right now is super close and they appear to be neck and neck. um, When you look at Scott fishbowl, I mean, that's a whole round difference. I I got Gordon uh, in, in the fourth in the fifth round. That's that's excellent. Man. He was my first running back. That's good. We could all we all wish we could have been so uh, so blessed to have that scenario. That's that's pretty solid value right there, my friend. I think he was still available at the four ten when I picked Leonard Fournette, and you know 
end of the fourth round was really just I couldn't pass that up. You, you um, no, go go ahead. Well, I, I just I just want to say that I think at this point in their both of their careers, just player for player, I still believe that Leonard Fournette is the better player. I you know Melvin Gordon has had a lot of average seasons um, now at this point in his career. You know, and when I say average, I mean just statistically from an efficiency perspective. You know, he's been good as a fantasy running back with Philip Rivers when he's gotten the volume, um, but you know, I think. People in the Leonard Fournette or that aren't in the Leonard Fournette camp that hate Leonard Fournette, they want to bring up Chris Thompson a lot. And I think that you could, uh, if you were trying to you know, make the case for Melvin Gordon, you would say, oh, well, it's his backfield. Well, Philip, Len- Philip Lindsay is better than Chris Thompson. So theoretically, they, you know, he has more competition. And I just don't see a world where, first of all, Chris Thompson has to prove that he can be a third down back on a consistent basis by being on the field. So, you know, the 305, you know, let's say you have a shot of both of these guys. I think the upside is still there with Fournette. Uh, I want to talk about a couple rookies here, uh, Cam Akers and DeAndre Swift. Josh, I want to get your take being the Lions guy. Um, how you feel about DeAndre Swift, um, you know, in comparison to on Johnson, how he's going to fair out with the touches. Um, and, and I guess, you know, in comparison with Cam Akers, I think both of these guys were looking at the being sort of a uh, timeshare. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's really interesting. This is another uh, case where I, I feel like the ADP can be a bit, a little bit misleading, um, especially if you're looking at the, uh, the Scott Fishbowl stuff, because these guys went uh, quite a ways apart, uh, I believe like a, a, at least a full round. Uh, yeah, Swift was at 70.5 and Akers was at 57.8, which I find uh, puzzling because not only do I think Swift is the better back, I also feel like he has a better offensive line to run behind. And the other thing is kind of like you mentioned with, you know, Fournette, um, you know, not having like a, um, major threat behind him, you know, with Thompson, just getting like the pass game work, um, the situation with Swift, you know, it's just like a two headed game. It's, it's just him and carry on. And then, you know, there's, you know, you could, you can trust me as the lions fan here. When I say that I, I highly doubt any other running backs are, are going to get any carries outside of those two, if they're both healthy and able. So, uh, whereas the Rams, you know, I just don't know what to expect with, you know, three running backs being involved. The lack of usage for Henderson last year in L.A. is very concerning. It's just like, um, you know, like like Anthony mentioned with Damian Harris in New England, like he he, he didn't get any carries either. And it's just it's baffling to me why they wouldn't uh, why they would trade up for a guy and not use him. Um, you know, then the Lions made an offer to Malcolm Brown and, you know, the Rams matched it. So you know, he got some run. Now that Gurley's gone, you bring in Akers. Do I think that Akers is just going to automatically be placed in the Todd Gurley role? No, I don't. I think, like we mentioned back uh, in April when we were talking about our draft episode, you know, I was afraid that the Rams were going to draft a running back. They did a uh, pretty yeah. good one at that. And so yeah. now you have this three-headed monster and it's just, dude, it's a nightmare, man. So for me, it's swift. Like, I feel like the opportunity alone is enough to to give him the nod in my book. I think we were talking about Acres a little bit, uh, you know, in, you know, I, I guess it was March or maybe it was April. And I was like, you know, I hope I hope that the Kansas City Chiefs draft him. I, I just want him to get into a good situation. And when as soon as the Rams drafted him, I was like, oh, oh, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> well, I think 
I think yeah. that was the episode with uh, with Joe uh, when Joe Pisapia came on, and I'm pretty right. sure that uh, that I was saying, you know, I just don't. I just said I, I I'm not doing any research on Henderson and Malcolm Brown until I see what they do in the draft because I feel like there's going to be you know a third a third wheel. <laughs> Here right. we are, man, and it's it's a headache. Is this how is that how the picture is looking for you, Anthony, uh, with the Rams backfield, or is it a little bit more clear for you? The Rams backfield to me, I think it's all going to be Cam Akers because they do have Darrell Henderson. They gave him what, just right around 35, 40 touches, something like that last year. And then they go ahead and draft a running back pretty high in Cam Akers. It tells me maybe they don't believe in Darrell Henderson. Um, on the other side of it, I find myself drafting DeAndre Swift more. I like him better as a player. And even though they still have Kerryon Johnson, DeAndre Swift has the opportunity to really run away with that backfield because DeAndre Swift can do everything. And he's not coming into the league with an injury history like Kerryon Johnson. And with Kerryon, it's not just one thing. There are injuries all over the place. So he's just injury prone. He's not reliable. And I don't think he has the trust of Daryl Bevel. I think Cam Akers, uh, Cam Akers, I think that DeAndre Swift can come in and eventually overtake carry on Johnson as a starter. And if we had a regular off season with rookie mini camps and OTAs and training camp, I believe Deandre Swift would be the starter out the gate. Josh is Swift the pass catching back on this team. I mean, I think both of these guys are equally talented to be completely yeah. honest with you um, with just a slight nod to Swift. I feel like Swift. Okay is slightly more powerful and but they both have pass catching chops so it's it's tough for me to declare one the quote unquote you know the third down back or the pass or the pass catching back got it see so, i'm so with they, i'm with you on not giving swift a slight edge talent wise but cam Akers has a clearer path to touches and, and i'm that's why i'm split on these two i, I would tough. say i well so okay Cam carry on Johnson is better than Darrell Henderson, right? I would I would say hands down. And right. So it's we, like from that perspective, it's like, okay, well, Cam Akers has, doesn't have to deal with a, the more talented back. So right, it could be just a, an even split with Swift and Carry on Johnson, but Cam Akers looks like he could be the guy that pulls away from the rest of the pack, in, in my opinion, even though he is dealing with two other guys. Um I don't I think give a would... positive too for Acres. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off, but the no. uh, the positive for Acres here is that you know he's used to running behind a, a bad offensive line, and you know he's done it while he's been banged up. So if anything, the one thing I will say is that uh, if, as far as backs from this backfield, um, you know Johnson, Carry jo on Johnson has shown repeatedly that he is productive when he can stay on the field. So unfortunately, there's that asterisk next to him. And but but at the same point, you know, Akers has shown it at the, at Florida State that he can actually play and still be productive while he's hurt. So um, right. that's that's kind of a big a big caveat to me is is one guy's proven it uh, in the NFL level but can't stay healthy, whereas the other one's proven it at the collegiate level while while he's been banged up. So it's it's just a little tricky. I was leaning Swift before we started talking. I, I think I'm going Acres uh, in the seventh round. Um, both going around the seventh round. I think Swift um, 
like player for player, I, I think I would take Swift. Uh, he was ahead in my rankings, um, you know, before the NFL draft. And I do like the Lions, you know, as a fantasy offense. But, you know, the running back for for the Lions has always been frustrating. Um, the Matt Patricia, you know, New England Patriots light style offense, you know, they use a lot of running backs. So and it's been tough for one to just separate from the pack. And so I think I will take my shot at Cam Akers because I think he has more of a chance to win the backfield. Um, but I will also say that the Rams offense in general isn't going to be as high powered as we think, in my opinion, it, you know, going to that 12 personnel, um, you take away the field stretcher and Brandon cooks. Um, obviously Todd Gurley is gone. So I, I'm just not, I'm looking at this offense as like, it's not going to be as good as maybe people are still picturing it. Um, so let's talk about Stefan Diggs real quick, uh, because he's somebody who I've just been like not even looking at in drafts. And I think that I need to come around on him. I mean, he's going as wide receiver 24. Um, there are a lot of good wide receivers in his range. And I think he's getting overlooked. Um, Anthony, how are you feeling about Stefan Diggs this year in Buffalo? You know, Stefan Diggs is a player where we were drafting pretty high, like second, early third round a couple of years ago. And now you can get Stefan Diggs almost as a mid-round wide receiver with a big ceiling. And I think the issue with Diggs is going from a Kirk Cousins, one of the most accurate and efficient quarterbacks, to Josh Allen, uh, who's one of the worst deep ball passers in the NFL uh, so I think that's going to hurt Stefan Diggs a little bit. But if Josh Allen can just get on track, then Stefan Diggs could be a monster. But he's yeah. in that range. He's like Devontae Parker, where you have a really wide range of outcome. Well, and so I'm glad you bring up Parker, because who would you take if you're on the clock? I mean, De- Devontae Parker and Stefan Diggs, both going around wide receiver 24 to wide receiver 27 range. I find myself going Devontae Parker a little bit more because I trust the quarterback. Now, Josh Allen, I love him in fantasy, but what is he? He's like the Bills goal linebacker, tied all quarterbacks with nine rushing touchdowns last year, second in almost every category to Lamar Jackson. That's what Josh Allen brings fantasy-wise. But be, but who do I want my wide receiver catching passes from? Uh, I'm going to go the other way with it. If Tua ends up starting and Tua works and Tua plays like the player that people think he could be, then that's going to benefit Devontae Parker. If, But if it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, let's say Tua doesn't play or Tua gets hurt or let's say Tua is not good and they have to fall to Ryan Fitzpatrick, well, Parker and include Gusecki here, they both broke out with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to throw the ball downfield. He's going to be careless with the football. At this point in his career, he has nothing to lose. So I actually feel more comfortable with the quarterback situation in Miami, whether it's Tua or Fitzpatrick. And that might sound crazy. Josh, where are you at, Diggs or Devontae Parker? I'm actually on the Stefan Diggs side of things. I'm uh, just not a believer in Parker. I mean, you know, I talked a little bit about this a um, couple episodes ago, but I just, I'm not high on Parker. I'm lower than most, um, you know, especially with just one good season under his belt after five years of being in the league. Um, he, you know, I mean, he could come out and repeat, obviously, but. Um, when you compare that to kind of like the lack of opportunity that Stefan Diggs had last year, uh, when Stefan, when Kevin Stefanski was made the offensive coordinator, 
we we knew that you know this was a, a head coach related thing where they wanted to run the ball more and we also know Diggs was kind of unhappy in Minnesota and um, you know, subtly like asking for trades and, <laughs> and like creative ways but uh, you know he only he only received you know 94 targets last year right and, but what he did with the targets is really impressive, you know, 12 yards per target. I mean, that's like three yards higher than his career average before that. Um, and, you know, he puts up 1130 yards, whereas you don't want to compare that to 27 season when he kind of broke out and he, he kind of got put on the fantasy map. Uh, those 95 targets only resulted in 849 yards and eight touchdowns. And that was back when, you know, the Vikings were throwing a little bit more. So uh, it's, it's interesting because if he gets traded, you know, you, you think he's going to make it, you know, a better scenario, maybe a little more uh, target volume. Uh, but honestly, with, with how efficient he was last year, I feel like that's just due to kind of regress back toward the mean. Uh, even if he does get more targets, I feel like, you know, his, his value doesn't escalate a ton. Uh, but for me, it's still high enough where I trust him more and I feel like he's safer than Parker. I think, you know, I, I like I said, I was not looking at Stefan Diggs as, you know, someone I want to draft. But, you know, T.Y. Hilton, Devontae Parker, players like that going around them, I think I'm going to take my shot on Diggs. So when it comes to, like, just being a wide receiver, Stefan Diggs is better than these guys at this point. You know, I think he's better than T.Y. Hilton, you know, right now at his age. And he's better than Devontae Parker as an all-around wide receiver. Now, Josh Allen is or could be problematic. But, you know, he made John Brown relevant at times last year, not knocking John Brown. And I think John Brown's a really good receiver. And I think I've been thinking of Stefan Diggs and John Brown as their target share being a lot closer. But I there could be an opportunity for Stefan Diggs to get 130 targets in this offense. When I look at it a little bit more, wow. they bring him in, they trade for him and now they're paying him a lot of money to be there. What I like about Diggs throughout his career is we've seen him be a PPR monster uh, at various stretches in his career where he's getting targeted, you know, in double digits, you know, per on a per game basis, just about. Um, and then last year you're talking about, you know, the, the arch per catch goes up and he's this deep ball threat, you know, Anthony, you're right. You know, the accuracy for Josh Allen, it was horrible last year on deep balls, but he, his throwing power is there. So we know he can get it downfield. And if he can give Stefan Diggs a chance, you know, one of the better deep ball players in the league, you know, th this could be pretty explosive. Uh, when I think about it like that, especially when you look at the trajectory of the Buffalo Bills right now, they are ascending as a franchise right now. So I'm looking at Stefan Diggs a little bit more. We're getting him at a discount um, that we haven't gotten him at before. Um, I'm not down yeah. on Stefan Diggs. I'm a Stefan Diggs guy. I was back in Minnesota, but I, I don't know. It's just, I, I've always been a Devonte Parker guy. He's a former first round pick, you know, yep. look at the offenses he was stuck in with Adam Gase, um, a starting quarterback who can never stay healthy. Uh, and then he gets Ryan Fitzpatrick, a gunslinger and, and he goes off. So I'm going to buy in again. I'm not saying uh, I'm not going to draft Diggs because I will, but I, I just see a little bit more with Devonte Parker, especially, uh, in the red zone, Devontae Parker, uh, had, I believe, had the second most uh, – oh, no, the most red zone touchdowns last year. Yeah, in fact, Devontae, all nine he scored was in a red zone. 
Devontae Parker is a beast, um, and he definitely is more of a touchdown guy than Diggs. So, yeah, that that upside is certainly there. And I like him way better with Ryan Fitzpatrick than with a rookie Tua. So if, if Fitzpatrick stayed, I think I've talked about that before with Kasicki right. um, and mm-hmm. and Bade Parker, all these plays. You know, I want Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback because, like you said, Anthony, we know he's going to throw the ball. And there's he nothing to lose. No, well, and and that's been years now. Yeah, and let's be honest. Like you know, he he's was it. It could have just been as easy as oh, there's no more Adam Gase, and so now Parker yeah. flourishes. Um, right. Adam Gase has held people down, uh, <laughs> much to the chagrin of the fantasy community for quite a while. So it's uh, for me, you know, I, I I like I said, I'm lower on Parker than most. I guess he's just got to kind of prove it to me again and show me that he can do it again. That it wasn't just like a hey, Adam Gase is gone now um type of thing where that's just been kind of the bugaboo this whole time but um but it's interesting for me because i i feel like you know you lump these guys here in in this you know the wide receiver rankings for a reason and um this is an interesting cluster because i mean guys like Diggs, um you know and we always say that you know john brown is always kind of thought up as the deep threat um you bring in Diggs, who's even better um so hopefully like this can help josh allen because these guys are actually better at some of the shorter and intermediate routes, uh, you know, talking about John Brown and Stefan Diggs, um, and, you know, talking about John Brown, you know, on top of this, uh, just real quick is, you know, he actually had a very consistent season last year. So he, he yeah. wasn't all boomer bust like we're used to. So this stable right. of receivers along with Beasley going to be really interesting to see how they support each other. And then one thing to note real quick before we move on is John, John Brown, obviously, you know, it's been documented uh, and he's missed time because of uh, the sickle cell trait that at this point you are more susceptible to viruses and infections. That is something to keep in mind um, for Stefan Diggs in that favor, um, because after that, you know, the depth chart uh, gets a little hairy, uh, the wide receiver. So let's do one more of these before we get out of here. Anthony, I appreciate you coming on and, you know, we'll give you a chance to talk about, uh, you know, just some things you have going on over on your side of the world. Absolutely. Uh, but I want, I want to get your opinion on two stud running backs, um, talking about Josh Jacobs or Nick Chubb. So which one are you leaning towards in drafts? Oh, I, I, it's tough. Probably Josh Jacobs, but it's really close with these two guys. These are both players that we haven't seen much yet uh, in the passing game. And I know that the offseason reports out of Oakland, Oakland or Los Angeles, whatever you want to call them, said we're going to get him more involved. Where are these targets coming from when you still employ a Jalen Richard? You brought in a Jason Witten who's going to do something on this offense. Like he's going to see snaps as a blocking tight end, and that's going to keep him on the field. Maybe we see more 12 personnel. Uh, So we're going to see these two tight ends. They drafted a bunch of wide receivers. They still have Tyrell. I don't see a a receiving ceiling for for Josh Jacobs. He could be right in that Nick Chubb range, Derrick Henry range, where where they don't get very much at all. Um, but I do think Nick Chubb's backup or whatever you want to call Kareem Hunt, I think he's going to have a big season. I have Chubb right around my RB12 range. I have Kareem Hunt as my RB23-24. It's just Josh Jacobs in Oakland. And if he didn't get derail- derailed by the injury last year, Josh Jacobs could have been the rookie of the year because he was playing really well. I think John Gruden wants to run the football. So I'm going to edge out Josh Jacobs because I think the ceiling is just a little bit higher and he has a little bit more opportunity all around. 
think earlier when we were talking about Derrick Henry, I forgot about Ezekiel Elliott at 301 carries and then Nick Chubb right behind him at 298. Josh, um, that volume is going down. And I know we've talked about it before. So is that the deciding factor for you with these two running backs? Yeah, both these guys right at the back end of that first round range, right on the cusp of the top 10, you know, RB rankings. And yeah, it's it's the same thing like we talked about with Fournette, you know, like there's no other major threat behind Josh Jacobs. You know, if Jalen Richard is, you know, your Chris Thompson uh, equivalent, I mean, it's it's not like Nick Chubb where Kareem Hunt it, it can just be a baller if he gets the opportunity. And, you know, not not say Jalen Richard can't, but. Uh, you know, the Raiders don't spend a first round pick on Josh Jacobs if they're not going to use him, you know, very, very heavily. And, you know, hopefully we do see more than those 27 or 28 targets, whatever it was last year. Uh, but the difference is he doesn't have a guy uh, behind him like Hunt uh, that can that can be so involved where, you know, they're almost forced to have both running backs in, in the same time. And I know we talked about that on the running back episode. I know you and you and Hoff kind of talked about it. Uh, Anthony's partner in crime there. And then, you know, on, on my top 10 uh, running backs, that's kind of the, the deciding factor that had Jacobs uh, ahead of Chubb and had Chubb kind of nudged out of the top 10 for me is just, you know, just there's the, the, the lack of a threat behind him. Yeah. I think Kareem Hunt is going to be used. We've talked about it before on this show. I'm a Nick Chubb guy, so I can't help myself when I pick Nick Chubb in this situation. The way I see it is, I think Josh Jacobs is actually safer. You guys mentioned it. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to Gruden got his guy in the first round. I mean, this is, this is the workhorse back for this team. Yeah. You would like to see more receptions. Maybe that increases from last year, 27 targets. I think it does have a very good chance because that's a very low number of increasing. Maybe that gets like 45 targets. I don't think you're going to get much more than that. Nick Chubb last year actually did have the 49 targets. Kareem Hunt coming in took significant bump in the pass catching role, which he did have actually. He was, you know, getting targeted three or four times a game. So I think that Nick Chubb is the more talented back when it comes down to it. And I think that the offense has a way better chance of being better than the Raiders. So that's where I'm at with it. And I think that, you know, you're going to get. Nick Chubb still being able to potentially get something like 1,400, 1,500 yards, even at maybe 260, 270 carries, because I think he's that good. And I also think that the touchdowns for Nick Chubb can go up from last year. Eight rushing touchdowns last year. We've talked about before how bad the Browns were in the red zone, specifically at the five-yard line or within the five-yard line. I mean, they wanted to pound the rock with Chubb. You love to see it as a, as a Nick Chubb owner. But he just could not get into the end zone for whatever reason. I, you know, I think a lot of that was obvious play calling. Yeah, I mean, hey, even with all that being said, like the the Browns' offense was a disaster, but like Chubb yes. still almost led the league in rushing. There you go. Yeah, yeah he was the, he was a clear leader until Derrick Henry just went off. Once Kareem Hunt was eligible to play. Um, he had a pretty significant season in PPR, I believe from weeks 10 to 17. Chubb and Hunt were right around two spots away from each other. Kareem Hunt finished as an RB2 in five out of eight games. Um, in four of those games, he had double-digit carries. Uh, the only game in which he had double-digit touches, I mean, uh, and he didn't perform as an RB2 was the first week back from the suspension. Kareem Hunt 
they give him a few more touches, he could have a monster season. I mean, I don't know what other way to put it. Kareem Hunt, I, I think he's going to be used, and I, and I think this is going to be a running back-dominated offense. Yeah, and I know I said this before, but uh, how pissed are you if you're Nick Chubb and you're you know leading the league in rushing and you get uh, your season low in carries for your final two games? I mean, I'd I'd be pretty pissed and glad I, and pretty pretty happy that Freddie Kitchens is gone. If uh, <laughs> if I'm being totally honest from a selfish perspective and Nick in Nick Chubb shoes. Yeah, exactly. And you know Stefanski coming in, you just hope that. You know, if you're a Nick Chubb guy, that he will give him the ball in that situation. Kareem Hunt is certainly going to be used. I think they're going to be on the field a lot together. I think that Kareem Hunt has the most standalone value of any other running back. Uh, there is, you know, that you could say the secondary running back or the backup running back. So you can draft both. Uh, obviously, you're not going to want to draft both on your team in most cases, but you know, you can feel good about, you know, one having both anyway, or looking at both as draftable assets. Uh, and I just think that, in my opinion, Nick Chubb is the better back. Uh, and the offense has a chance of being, you know, what we thought it could have been last year, or a lot, what a lot of us did. You know, I was fooled, for one, in thinking that the Browns offense could at least be better than what we saw last year. Uh, Baker Mayfield throwing the 22 touchdowns. I certainly had that closer to 30. I think it has a chance mm-hmm. to you know, touch that 30 mark. Anthony, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate you having you having you on. Uh, the Mental Health Podathon was awesome. It was great to tune into that. Um, and congrats again on hitting that 6,000 mark, earning money for charity there. If you could just tell everybody real quick where they could find you and then uh, what sort of uh, ventures you have going on in the fantasy industry. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. And you can follow me at The Real NFL Guru. And you can follow my show at The FF Faceoff. You can find us at all the top social media and podcast platforms. Um, I also have a spinoff show, Mike and I. Uh, we are uh, the flagship show at the Fantasy Data Podcast Network. Um, it, it's brand new. It is called the On the Clock Fantasy Football Podcast with Fantasy Data. And we are welcoming uh, the former top ranker in a Fantasy Pros ECR, uh, the, fantasy, the Fantasy Data head writer, Jody Smith. He's going to be the, uh, the third uh, on this new podcast at On the Clock. So I'm really excited for it. I'm excited for another year in the Fantasy Pros ECR. I came in 15th uh, in season, then 15th in draft. So I'm looking to build on that, hopefully crack the top 10 this year. So uh, really pumped for the season. Real quick, wanted to uh, let everybody know, got a uh, one of the Fantasy Pros collaborative pieces coming out here where I kind of wrote up Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt's teammate, Jarvis Landry, and how massively disrespected he is on an annual basis. I'm going to... I'm going to die on that hill. We talked about Jarvis Landry a few weeks ago. Just uh, want to encourage everyone to check it out and uh, be on the lookout for some more of those coming up here as we lead up to uh, the season kicking off, hopefully, and uh, getting into full swing for draft mode. All right. Excellent. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, Appreciate you guys joining us every week here at The Hot Take. Of course, you can find us uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, be on the lookout for uh, a couple of our upcoming episodes. We're going to have Paul Charchian on the show. We're going to have a fun uh, reunion episode coming up with James Coe and Marcus Grant. We're super pumped about that. Um, so we have a lot of great off-season content for you here at The Hot Take. Well, on behalf of Anthony Savino and Josh Daly, my name is Stephen Troni. Thanks for listening. This has been The Hot Take Podcast.